Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. So last week, we talked about this biblical concept of being a living sacrifice and how the imagery that Paul uses draws us back to the temple, to the sacrificial system that was instituted in the Old Testament and through the time of Christ was very popular. You know, it was an essential part of what the children of Israel did. And there were two main sacrifices that occurred. There were many of them, but the two common ones that happened at the temple were the sacrifice of atonement and the sacrifice of praise. And one often led to the other as atonement was, of course, where they started. It was the idea of sin being costly and how we had to offer something in order to recognize the price of our sin. So the gift, it was an extravagant gift. Whatever the price range for the folks that came, whether it was a ram, a sheep, a bull, whatever they gave, it was something where they had to understand the extravagant cost, the nature of, of their sin. And they would actually lay their hands on the animal and confess their sins. And then the sacrifice of praise, the celebration came after that God indeed, he accepted their confession, he forgave their sin, and he took it away. That's what we talked about, and we talked about how the grace of God shows us, how it demonstrates his love for us. And we talked about Romans 5, 6, and 8, that Christ died for us, though we were so far from righteous, we were ungodly. And love, as Christ describes it, is always sacrificial in nature. It's extravagant. It's costly. There are so many examples of this truth from the very beginning of God's word. We talked about Genesis 22 and the sacrifice where Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, and God says, no, no. In fact, God lets him know that he'll send his own son for us to experience, so we would experience grace, that we would understand the costly nature of our redemption in Jesus Christ. And that understanding that God loves us while we're still sinners, that he calls us to love and to serve extravagantly, it changes us, it, it motivates us, it compels us from the depths of our spirit to be more like Christ. This calling to live, to love, to sacrifice, to be like Christ, it changes our perspective. It changes our perspectives on our own lives, and it changes our perspective on the world around us. Once you know God's grace, living any other way than the way that Jesus commands us, it just feels wrong. It doesn't make sense to us. And that's how we can say that we're called to be living, lasting, and logical believers. We have a lifestyle sacrifice through Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only in that supernatural and dwelling presence of the Spirit can any of this happen. We're not able to do this in ourselves. We're not able to. God's Word is clear that all believers are called to live and to love and to serve and to sacrifice in their own lives like Jesus did. It's just a requirement of the job. If you want to be a Christian, this is what it means to say that we belong to Him. With absolute certainty, we want to experience this irresistible grace, and we want to live this way. Our goal as believers, therefore, is to become more and more like Jesus by modeling his sacrificial love and seeking after the Father. And it's a 24-7, 365 day a year proposition. This is just who we are called to be. It's what it means to belong to Jesus. And as we will see today, as we're going to understand today, when we do this, we should ask questions about how that grace from God, how that experience we have at the cross, how does that grace change us? 
How does it change us? We're going to ask a few questions today and we're going to answer them. These questions, you may think, wow, these are great. I want to let you know I'm not this smart. These are actually from Tim Keller's church, Redeemer Church in New York City. Uh, they're great questions. As many of you know, I served in the PCA for many years, and I, I actually got to sit down and talk to Dr. Tim Keller, and he's every bit as cool and smart as he seems. And his church has really come up with this very deep way of introspection, looking at their church and saying, okay, if we're all the church, every one of us, what's it mean that we would belong to God, that we would understand God's grace? Because we talked about all through the book of Romans, the cross is God's grace for us. And so we're going to answer these questions today. How does grace change us? How does it change the way we see our lives and the way we see this congregation, our church family, and the capital C, the church around the world as well? And how can I use my gifts, my abilities, my opportunities to serve Christ and to serve my congregation 24-7, 365 days a year? So we're going to read today Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And we're going to dig in together to see how we are called to find our own spiritual giftedness to serve Jesus, knowing that all of this, all of what we have is by His grace. So we've talked about what it means to be a living sacrifice. Now we're going to put some legs on that and see how do we use who God has uniquely made us to be. How do we find our giftedness to serve Him? Romans 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What does it mean for us to take hold of all God's given us by his grace and to use who we're uniquely created to be, who were equipped to be for God's glory and to build God's kingdom. Now, if you're like me, you may not even know what those things are. One of the most frustrating things for me is when someone's getting to know you, maybe you get a new job or you're promoted or you have to move, or I think of our students in the beginning of the school year, they go to different classes, and one of the most frustrating things is people will ask you, maybe it's an interview or something, you've had this at work probably, tell me about your strengths or tell me about yourself. And people have good intentions here. They want to know what motivates your heart. But I'm always struck by this. I'm not sure how to answer. And if you're like me, I have this little internal conversation in these moments. How honest should I be? And you freeze for a minute. You're kind of frozen. You think, how honest should I be? Do I tell them? Should I admit that I believe Walker, Texas Ranger is a piece of Hollywood gold? One of the greatest television shows ever made. Second only to probably MacGyver, if I'm honest with you. But, you know, hey. That I don't know why I choose so loud, but I fear that people judge me for it. I mean, obviously you don't say these sorts of things, and it's a little silly, but Paul was talking here in Romans 12, 3, on a deeper level, actually on a, a lot deeper level, about what we need to do when we look inside of ourselves and say, what has God given me? Who has he uniquely made me to be? 
A little introspection can be healthy from time to time with a healthy goal and heart in, in mind. In this case, the goal was to make the most of all the giftedness that God has given us by His grace. And this matters because many Christians, we have this problem in our modern evangelical Christianity where we say, woohoo, I'm saved and now I can just do whatever I want. I can go back to that book or binge watching Netflix or arguing with that overly political person that's on my Facebook feed. By the way, did you know you can mute those people? Oh, it is. If you want to feel drunk with power and you're on Facebook, click that mute button. It's like you make them cease to exist. They vanish from reality for 30 days. That person, and if you don't know who that person is, you are that person, just so you know. Okay, but you know, like, oh, so-and-so's at it again. They're gone. It's awesome. I highly recommend it to everyone. You should try it out. You really should. Anyhow, what I'm trying to say is we're all called, we're all equipped for more. Being saved is only the beginning of our faith. In fact, that starting place it's for us to grow in faithfulness. It happens when we take an honest look in the mirror. We take a step back and we look in the depths of our being. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do this. And only then can we begin to see how God's grace has equipped us, the spiritual giftedness that we have. Romans 12.3 is a call primarily for us to self-examination. Take a sober look at yourself. And this can be difficult, but it's necessary. It's important for every one of us to do it because we all tend to think, we're better off than we truly are in life. We do this. I remember one day recently, I was walking around a store, and I was going to meet my family, and I think we were going out to dinner before Katie went back to the college or something like that, and I was enjoying myself and smiling away, and Manny started to move towards me with that mom face. Now, if you're not sure what the mom face is, every one of you should know what it means. It's a cross between a CSI detective who has just found a critical piece of forensic evidence and a spouse who wonders how she ended up with you out of all the billions of men on planet Earth. <laughs> men, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Every husband, if they're honest, we, we know this. And ladies, I am sure this is hard, so I'm so, so sorry, because bless your hearts, we deserve it. In this instance, uh, I had a large piece of lettuce stuck in my teeth. I know I looked in the bathroom recently in the mirror, and but like the Loch Ness Monster, it emerged from some deep recesses in my mouth and my teeth and came out, and there it was. And, you know, I looked in the mirror. Before that, I thought, I look really good. In fact, I look really good. Hey. <laughs> and so I went out, and I realized in that moment I could not see things as they truly were. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And that's what happens to all of us in a spiritual sense because of our own sinfulness, our own pride. We often talk about how low self-esteem is crippling for all of us, but in reality, that can happen. We learn that our common ailment, though, as sinful people, is self-centeredness. It's our self-centeredness and our ego. That's actually the thing that happens more commonly. And seeing all these gifts as being gifts, as actually coming from the Holy Spirit, it lays an essential foundation for us in our hearts, for us to realize our constant need for the Lord to be in our lives, guiding us and holding us up and transforming us in the ability to use all our gifts, the opportunities that God gives us, that he gives us in our lives, ourselves, they're all for his glory. And for those to happen, we have to be completely dependent on the Spirit in our everyday living. Romans 12, 3 commands us to have sober judgment, requires us to be both dependent on the Spirit, but also, if you think about it, 
on each other. We're to be dependent on each other. This is a commandment for us to be the church of Jesus Christ and to be interdependent for all of us to work together as one. That is a high calling from God. It's a sober view in reality. And the term sober here means just what we think it does. It's the idea of having a detailed and accurate understanding, an accurate view of our lives and ourselves. We truly need others who are seeking God alongside of us to make that happen so that we would see ourselves for who we truly are. That's why it's vital for us to be in community in the church of Jesus Christ. And as church attendance and things wane, as people become less committed in their faith, that's not going to happen unless we have that commitment. We need each other to see God's call, to see God's giftedness, and to see our own brokenness as all of them truly exist, not just how we want to see it. Not just how we want to see it. And as this happens, the church grows because we grow as Christ's followers. That's the setup here for what Paul is telling us. At SBC, we're preparing small groups ministry for the new year because life-giving relationships help us to thrive, they help us to grow, to feel loved, to feel connected and nurtured as God's people. It allows us to be our best, to use all our giftedness for God's glory, and frankly, that feels pretty good. Have you ever had that moment when you feel good, where you seem to be right where God has you being? You don't even know, you, you didn't know it at the moment, but boom, God uses you because you're available, your heart was focused, your life was focused, you saw what God was doing, just something occurred to you to say something to someone in a situation. To stop and say to somebody, hey, are you okay? To really take time. And God used you in that situation. That's what Paul is telling us. We all have a calling. We all have gifts to use because we all belong to him. And we have that Holy Spirit, the giver of those spiritual gifts. And so as we take a look here, we're going to look here at verse 4. And this idea, the concept God gives us here the measure of your faith. Now, the original language here in this verse, look what it says. As in one body, we have many members, that's us, and the members do not all have the same function. Thank God you're all not like me. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, okay? We have this calling. We have this idea here, and we have this measure of faith God gives us. We're all different, but God gives us this different measure, this different idea of faith. Different translations have this word in here. According to the measure of faith that God gives us, if you look here in verses 3 and then into verse 4, it says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, lots of people have done some kind of biblical gymnastics with this and say, well, some people have left faith, left less faith than others, and that's not what God's saying here. That word there is metron, from which we get the word meter. And trust me, guys, as someone who's learning to run, whether you're running up a hill or running down a hill, a mile's still a mile. One's harder than the other, but it's still a mile. It's the same distance. What God is saying here, what God is telling us, is that we all have the same faith. We don't have different levels of faith. It's not some strange spiritual video game where you're leveling up or something like that. That's not what God is saying. But what he's saying is that we all have the same faith means of faith, the same amount of faith. We belong to him. I mean, running downhill is nice, but it's still a mile, and you always have to run back uphill, even in Summit County. And in your life, sometimes you feel like faith is coming really easy. Sometimes you feel like it's coming a little harder. But what this is saying is that we belong to God. Paul's reminding the Roman church our identity 
It lies in Christ. We belong to him and not to ourselves. Despite our own tendency, like that Roman church, to measure ourselves against other people's spirituality. We've talked about that. Paul says, no, no. We're all the same in Christ, and God loves us equally. We're standing in Christ, or we're trying to stand in our own power, in the saving work of the cross, or in our desire to get it all right. And we have these gifts that are given to us by the Spirit, and that's why we call them spiritual gifts. We're not born as much with them as the Spirit makes them emerge from us in God's power. It's not just in our own. That's why we don't call them spiritual abilities. And so God gives us these different gifts. He's equipped us. And we all have them. And they should lead us to see that God has given us these gifts for a purpose. We have a calling from God. And they're a byproduct of God's grace. He gives them to us. And finding these gifts, do they change the way we see ourselves? Do they see, change the way we see the purpose for our lives? Because when we're seeing these gifts, we should see God's grace and how it's having a profound impact on us. We should see everything we have as a product of God's grace. You and I don't earn these gifts. We didn't do something special. God doesn't let us run downhill all the time because he loves us more than somebody else. There are no favorites in the kingdom of God. What happens, friends, is we frankly need to change the way that we see the church, the way we see us as the body of believers here. We are all unique people, and perhaps we are even peculiar people. You're wonderful, don't get me wrong. You are. But we have different gifts and abilities, and they're all given to us by God's grace. And they're given to us so we can accomplish the mission work of the gospel. We are meant to use our gifts to work together as a team, as one body, for the good of the whole. And by the whole, God means everybody, not just the people in this building. Now, if we think about teamwork, this might be a painful reminder for both Steelers and Browns fans. Though I was hearing it from the Browns fans before worship this morning. But nothing works on a football team unless everybody is doing their job. If the offensive line doesn't do their job, Baker Mayfield's going to end up in the hospital, Browns fans. I'm telling you. God bless them. I don't want that to happen. Unless everybody does their job, the quarterback gets hurt. If the offense doesn't do their job and the quarterback doesn't do her job, his job, rather, the defense gets tired. If the defense gets tired, you end up 0-3. And thank God that you are playing the Bengals on Monday Night Football. If we can't beat the Bengals, man, Steelers are done. I'm just saying. If you're from Pittsburgh, you know the Myron Cope, our great announcer, called them the Bungles. I'm just saying. Perhaps you've been saying in your head or hearing in your heart, I don't think I have a whole lot to offer. I wouldn't make the cut to be on the team. Maybe that's what you're thinking right now. I think we do that often. And maybe you're saying, I'm just not, or I don't really think I could... Or this is not my thing. I have great news for all of you today. It's a great common refrain that we've heard in the book of Romans. It's not about you. None of this is about any one of us individually. God calls all of us into his grace. He imparts these gifts to us by his grace. And he uses us together as a team all by grace. You have gifts. The real question we need to ask is, how do I find my spiritual giftedness? How do I figure this out? In verses 3 through 8, Paul lays out a plan to discern spiritual giftedness. But let me tell you that we do have a test at SPC to help you inventory, to help you discern 
maybe some of those spiritual gifts to get you started on the right track. And as we get into this small groups time coming up in the life of our church in the winter, don't worry, we're going to offer that. We're going to give you a chance to be a part of that. It's actually very helpful. If you've never done one of these, you know what I'm talking about. I think our women did one of these at their women's retreat before. They're very helpful, aren't they? I mean, that's why the women do everything so well, guys. I need to get you on one of those. I don't know. But if you think you don't have any gifts to, to offer the church, as Sheldon would say in the Big Bang Theory, you are special and I can prove it to you because we're going to have you tested. We're going to let you know. So briefly in our time left, as we've answered how grace changes how we see ourselves and how we see the church, we've talked about that a little bit, how we're called together and gifted uniquely and individually to serve as one body, to serve together how we're interdependent parts of the body of Christ. We talked about all that. We have one gospel mission, to see others come to that vibrant life in Christ. That's why we say here at our church, we are disciples making disciples. We talked about some of that, but how do we discern them? How do we find them? So we're going to talk about some of this giftedness, and we're going to talk about it here in some very practical terms. Now, I know this might seem strange since we're talking about spiritual gifts, but God uses us and our gifts in a very real world. It's a practical world. When we see God at work in the world around us and the lives around us, we're going to talk about three concepts here, just three, of how and where to discern those gifts in your own life. Then we are going to very briefly look at the gifts mentioned in this passage here. We're going to look at them briefly. And as you hear these gifts, see what the Spirit stirs up in you. In fact, you might want to grab a pen out of the seat back in front of you, and you may want to write these down. And remember, you'll have a chance to do an inventory later. We're going to do that as New Year's comes around. But we're going to look here briefly at this gift in this, and you'll see them up here on the screen as well. The first thing that you can do in your life is examine your own hearts and your own passions. I see many Christians who say, there's nothing at this church that really fits my passion. There's nothing here. Okay, now first of all, we're assuming your passions fit in with God's word. For example, if your passion is running bootleg moonshine across state lines, we might have a problem integrating that into the larger ministry of SPC. We're probably not going to be able to do that. That's below the Mason-Dixon line. They probably have that. That's cool. We just don't have it here in Ohio, okay? So we're assuming that your heart is seeking after God here. Let's just put that out there. Okay, so all right. If there isn't a ministry here that your heart and your passions line up with, and if you feel it lines up with God's word and God's mission, as we've already talked about this morning, start one. What do you love doing for Jesus? Give it a shot. Invite other people. Where do you discern needs in our community? If God lays that on you, I want you to pray and ask God to confirm it to you. If you feel, yes, I think this is a real need, even a huge need, then bring it to one of our ruling elders. Because I believe these calling and, callings and gifts are spiritual, and so God will bring other people. They're going to have that same thing in their heart too. God will bring people alongside. He'll make that happen. They'll see the same needs. They'll see that we can be effective together for the kingdom to change lives and share the gospel in whatever that endeavor, whatever that thing is. So God's going to say, hey, we're going to make this happen. You can do that. So think about what are my passions? What do I enjoy doing? What do I see? What is God revealing? What needs do I see around? Maybe you're driving down the street. Maybe you're sitting at work and you hear a conversation at lunch. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you look at your own life and say, hey, I could really do this. We don't have that, but I see it's a need. I hear it's a need. Put yourself out there. Put yourself out there. Once that burden happens, go out and do it. Now, our big day of service, I mentioned this at the beginning of our worship time today. 
is coming up October 19th, and there's a large display out there showing there's diversity of opportunities. If you like to do construction, use your hands, you can do that. If you can't really walk around because you have mobility issues or maybe you're just older and you can't do the physical labor, we're doing boxes that we're going to send to our college students. Can you sit and pick up a handful of candy? Yes, you can. You could be a part of something like that. And you can do that together as the body of Christ. That is something you can be a part of. Even if you're not sure what to do, you can try something out. And if you come to Big Dave's service, you can try something. If you don't like it, you can say, okay, that's not it. But that's still part of that discernment process. Experience causes us to revise our own ideas of our spiritual giftedness, ourselves, and what God's calling us to do. Sometimes, even as a church, we crash and burn, we try things, but God uses that. Go out and do something. You learn when you serve. The last thing here, quite simply, is study God's Word. Look at spiritual giftedness and be careful not just to listen what anybody says on YouTube about spiritual giftedness. Go to trusted sources and scholars who study God's Word. The Scripture is clear teaching. Romans 12, we're going to just finish that up here. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Write those down on your bulletin if you want to look them up. The, the, the list we have here in Romans 12 is not exhaustive. Lots of people take all kinds of things and unpack them that maybe aren't clearly in God's word there. So ask God to reveal to you from his word. And to you, if it's a yes, you should do that. That's on my list. You may find that some of these things you feel uh, are on your list. So as we go through these spiritual gifts, as you look at the passage this morning, underline one of those gifts or put a check mark by it in your bulletin as we go through it this morning. And think about the question we asked, that third question, how I use my gifts to serve my church and my Savior. How am I going to do that? So think about that as we go through these. Consider these gifts as we go through this. Okay, here they are, briefly. Romans chapter 12. These gifts are listed out here. First, prophecy, and this one's controversial, but as Reformed people, we see all Christians that they say and attest to the truth. They must say things and attest to things. Prophecy is this idea that the Spirit anoints us. He gives us words from God's heart that will fall within the bounds of God's word. God's not going to tell us to say anything that goes beyond or outside of what God's word, what the Bible clearly teaches. Okay? Make sure you remember that. If the Bible doesn't say it's true, you cannot and should not say, I just feel this is kind of like how it should be. I hear Christians say this all the time. You know, I just kind of feel, mm, your heart's deceitful and wicked above all things, folks. When God's Spirit gets a hold of your life, what you say, when you are saying what God gives you, if God just gives you something to say to somebody, it's going to line up with what God's Word teaches. It's going to. This isn't about how we feel, but about what God clearly says. Prophecy is not the same level of Scripture. It's subordinate. But if God's ever given you a word for somebody, hey, you know what? I don't know if this makes any sense to you. How many of you have said that to somebody? I've just been praying. I thought of you. Have you ever done that? Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. It's not, it's not getting up a street corner and saying, floods will destroy Ohio next week. If that happens, that was not prophecy as far as I know, just so you know. But all right. That's the kind of conversation where God has. I know in my own life, I've shared stuff with people that I think is eloquent, 
and nothing happens. But sometimes I'll say, well, you know, God's like cornflakes or something. It just pops in my head, and I think, what a dumb thing. Some of the things you guys say you love the most in my sermons was not in my manuscript. But I just threw it out, and I was like, what was that? And somebody comes up crying to me. That was amazing. I'm not that smart. Right? The next one is service. I don't know what somebody said back there, but I'll find out later. The next one here is service, physical work in the church. The word here that we have is diaconia, which is where we get the word deacon. Physical needs of the church, physical things that need done. Sometimes this is administration. Our finance folks work tirelessly. You don't see what they do, but they work really hard. Our personnel team, our ushers, our greeters, the people that come out with our campus team and volunteer, the people that set up and tear down chairs so our outreaches happen. We couldn't do the ministry we do, let alone what happens on a Sunday, without those people with the gift of service who just love to serve. We're so thankful for them. How about teaching? The discerning heart of God, understanding what God says in his word, what God has given us, making it understandable to other people. God's heard, God's word expresses God's heart, God's truth that we teach it. Teachers take the word of God and offer it to others in a way that makes sense, a way that they can comprehend that they can apply to their lives. They may not always be preachers, or they may be teachers or preachers. Some teach best one-on-one, some in groups, some are up in front of people, and they're really loud like me. Our SPC kids teachers, though, that are downstairs, that are maybe really quiet. Our Christian ed folks that teach at 9 a.m. in the classrooms over here. I'm thankful for them. Those who teach from God's Word, our men's ministry, our women's ministry. How about the gift of encouragement? Parakaleo is the word here for this. It's the idea of coming alongside of someone. This is those who encourage, heartfelt support, counsel. Those who actively see someone and just know they need to go up and lift them up. You're all thinking of somebody that does this for you right now. Maybe someone writes you a note, sends you a text, stops and puts their arm around you and just says, I'm so glad to see you today. That's what it means those people that share the peace and the mercy and the love of Christ in tangible ways. When people say, your church is so loving and welcoming, there's a group of people whose faces come into my mind because I know they are those encouraging people. Our ushers, our greeters, people that encourage, that, that welcome you in. Many of you have shared with me, someone encouraged you. Maybe they worked with you. Maybe they lived in your neighborhood. Or maybe you came in here cold one Sunday and someone made you feel so welcome. Maybe someone who's even passed away now. And that's why you're here. That's why you're here. How about giving? Giving is a hard attitude, a spiritual attitude. And I put here generosity with gusto. How's that for a theological term, gusto? Those who give in unusual and sacrificial proportions have this spiritual gift. Like Barnabas in scriptures. You remember Barnabas? Think about him. He loved, he encouraged, he gave, he gave sacrificially. He didn't want the attention. He gave because it was really what was on his heart. He didn't want people to know. We have people here I know. I don't even know who they all are because I don't know anything about the giving. But I know there are people here that give sacrificially because they love and believe in this church and in the mission and ministry of it. That's awesome. Giving is not about our budget. It's about our hearts as we trust and we seek God. We we give sacrificially. We step out in faith and we say, God has led us to this point and we're going to trust him. In fact, God, I'm going to give it all to you. Here it is. It's yours. You're going to lead us where we need to go. 
Those who give generously not only see God bless their gifts, but they also seem to find that deeper fulfillment because they're entrenched, they're in God's heart. That's why they give. And then leaders. Leaders are gifted to discern the heart of God. They inspire other people to follow him as they seek to follow where God is leading. Our ruling elders have spiritual calling to discern the mind of Christ. I heard one time about a person who left the church and said, well, the elders are my elected representative. No, they're not. They are the under-shepherds of this church who discern God's will for it, not yours or mine. I want to thank our ruling elders for what they do because they have the opportunity to share from God's word. They teach and they lead as well. That's why they sometimes stand up here and give God's word to you guys because they are spiritual leaders. They are to discern God's word, to understand it, and to apply it to the life of our church where he's leading our congregation by his spirit and by his word. And as a senior pastor, as a teaching elder, I am only one member of the session. I get one vote. Do you know that? Believe it or not, this stuff doesn't happen because I'm so awesome. I'm not that awesome. Some of you know that. The elders pray, and they struggle, and they together come and vote. You know how often I voted in my time being the senior pastor here? Twice. I don't need to. Because when the elders get together, it's not always unanimous, but it's pretty darn close. You know why? Because they're united as leaders for your church to seek what God wants, what's best for us. So pray for them. Encourage them. I pray that some of you would consider running to be elders and deacons. We need them. The church is in a great place, and God's going to lead you in the future. I am not the end-all, be-all of this church. The guy before me wasn't. The person that comes after me won't be either. We're important. But the session is chiefly made up. God's leaders are you. That's an amazing thing about our Reformed tradition. We can never lose sight of that. They actively lead our elders. They teach. They serve. They guide us to these kingdom goals, these gospel goals that God gives us. It's awesome. The last thing here, guys, is mercy. It's where God's passion is to bring those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are in need. When you have that gift of mercy, that just permeates your bones. You say, I, I got to have that person. I got to help them. You have a heart. Those with addiction, those with physical needs, those who battle with poverty, and those who have lost, those who just because of aging, they're being affected, those who are imprisoned. Mercy is where the tenderness of God's grace pours out in the lives of people so extravagantly that we show others how we're united in Christ. They're the people that love people so much that you just want to go and love people with them. Do you know people like that? You're all thinking of somebody. I know you are. There are people here in this church that love and serve that you don't even know. I find out months and even years later what they've been doing, and we don't even know. What an amazing thing that they see people struggling in sin, and they have that spiritual sensitivity, and they have that compassion to see those who are broken by sin and to see them how Jesus sees them, to love them how Jesus loves them. The darkness in our lives and in our world, they understand it. They're sinners too. And they love those people and they see them as valuable and worthy and beautiful despite whatever is happening in their lives, just as Christ sees them. That gift of mercy. 
Well, I hope you have some check marks in your bulletin. I hope you do. I hope you think about this and even pray about this. Our goal here is to become, as believers in Christ, more like Jesus, to love and to serve Him 24-7, 365. That's what we're trying to do. And as we said at the start today, seeking to live into this giftedness in our everyday lives, it changes our priorities, it changes our hearts, and it points our lives to Christ. It changes us, it shapes us to be more like Jesus in our own lives. We touch other people, we lead them to Jesus, but we are drawn closer to Jesus as well. I want us to think about that in our lives this year. I want you to think about as we go into this fall season, when life gets busy, when life gets difficult, how are we going to find these gifts? How are we going to seek to be those living sacrifices? How are we going to belong more fully to God? Because when we follow him a little closer and we're led a little deeper into his plans, when that happens, God's grace is so prevalent, it's so present in our lives that things change inside of us. The church grows. God will transform us and he will continue to make this church what he desires it to be for his glory. That's what happens when the body of Christ seeks to use all their giftedness for God's glory. Best of all, that's when God most clearly shows up in our own lives and we're satisfied in our own lives. The deepest longings of our souls seem to be taken away. This week, look over this list and ask God to show you where he is calling you to take the next steps in your own faith and to grow in using who he has uniquely created and called you to be in this kingdom of grace. You'll never forget it. You'll never regret it, rather. And your life will never be the same. This week, ask yourself, what are my gifts? Where am I called to serve the church? How will I serve my Savior and those all around me in the world this week? By God's grace. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you in every way would use us as your people, that you would call us to belong more fully to you. God, that you would indeed transform us, that we would see this giftedness, that we belong to you, that we are your people. God, that we are in every way given by your grace these amazing gifts. We may not even know what they are yet. These amazing opportunities. We don't know where you're going to take us. God, even the harsh and painful things that have happened in our lives. God, even the things that we think, how could God ever use that? We remember what we learned in Romans 8.28, that all things work for good. God will draw all these good things out in you. Lord, we need to remember that. God, shape us, transform us, equip us, and unite us with that purpose to share the love and grace of God with all those we meet, using the unique giftedness you've given each one here, that the body would work together with one purpose, to bring you the glory and to draw others to know you as Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.